Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 1 is over. We are just getting started here on Post Show Recap. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom beaming in uh, in replacement of Jessica Lee's as your captain of this podcast. Uh, Jess is doing some off-world time as part of the away team. Uh, she is not going to Kaminar, but she is in a place surrounded by a lot of water, so it probably is very close. But we figured... It's the start of a new season of Star Trek Discovery. We've got to hop on the line and at least gab a little bit of what season four is setting up. And we got a lot of setup in this episode. And I was really excited when given the opportunity, not because I don't love talking to Jess, but because I really enjoy getting to talk with this guy. Uh, he is one of the, I think, most vocal Star Trek people I know in the PSR community. I mean... I would just say star blank in general, because you probably know this guy if you listen to the Star Wars coverage we have here of things like the Clone Wars, the Bad Batch, etc. So I'm so happy to welcome Brendan Fitzpatrick in to the podcast. How's it going, Brendan? Hey, Mike, it's really great to be here. Wait, this isn't the Star Wars podcast? Oh, boy. Well, we did see a planet blow up at the end. So, you know, what? Uh, maybe we did, it's not we too did. similar. <laughs> I was getting some major, uh, major A New Hope vibes from the ending of that episode, for sure. Yeah, that's that's it's no moon. We don't know what it is, but it's definitely no moon that is causing the problems. <laughs> and assumingly seems to be our big overhanging mystery has already been introduced, apparently, for season four. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to say some stuff off top, and then I'd love to get, you know, Brennan, your overall thoughts on Star Trek and Discovery Absolutely. proper before the episode. Uh, so in terms of coverage for the rest of this season, because I just want to lay it out here, we did want to come back, do a premiere recap just to, like, lay out our thoughts on the season and then talk about what might be moving forward. Uh, but suffice it to say, uh, between the schedules that Jess and I are maintaining during this very busy season, it is not going to be a weekly endeavor like it has been in the past. Uh, instead, what we're going to do is we're going to come back every few weeks or so, maybe uh, two to three weeks, to just recap the past batch of episodes. So basically, is Star Trek Discovery back? Yes. Are the podcasts back? Yes, but maybe not as recurring uh, as it was previously. You know, maybe we were running on like 100% dilithium during seasons one to three. Now we're operating at maybe like 75%. Trying to be as efficient as possible, not bring those shields down uh, to a level that puts us in danger. But I just want to put that out at the top. We're happy to come together for episode one. Uh, if you check your feed the next day and there's uh, not an episode next week and there's not an episode two, that's okay. We'll be back and in fits and starts, uh, present company included with the fits, to <laughs> talk about the, the season. Just want to put that out there in the very beginning. But let's get to the matter at hand, the programmable matter, matter at hand, the person at hand brendan fitzpatrick uh because this is the first time we're having you talk about star trek on a podcast i would love to hear just starting out what got you into this chair what is your history with the show and i, I guess i could sort of couch that in what is your series everyone has a series right of star trek what is your series so my series is uh, not too dissimilar from a lot of people of our generation, and that's The Next Generation. Um, as someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s, uh, Next Generation was not only airing live when I was watching Star Trek, but right after it stopped airing, you immediately were catching daily episodes on the Sci-Fi Network, mm. where they would just run a block of episodes for three, four hours in the afternoon and I would come home from class in high school and then in college 
and do my homework while watching Star Trek Next Generation. So, like, I, I really grew to love that show. Um, I know one of the, my favorite things to send Jessica Lee, your, uh, co-host is just random gifts of Riker sitting down. Yeah. And it never, it never fails to make her laugh and it never makes, fails to make me laugh as well. Um, I, I've always had a, an affinity for that show. Um, I love everybody. I love Jordy. I love Data. Um, I love Riker. Riker is like, my all-time favorite Star Trek character. So when he popped up on a show we covered a couple of years ago, like the card, it made me so immensely happy. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I've dipped in and out of the other franchises here and there with, um, you know, so, some Deep Space Nine, some Voyager, and then just uh, Enterprise started airing while I was in college. And my friends and I would gather around and watch Enterprise on the weekly while I was in college, and I actually really like Enterprise. Okay, well, it's you got it. You get, you get an Enterprise it's, shout out in this episode, yeah. then, like, that's one for you. Yeah, man. so when they mentioned the Archer space station, I just started beaming. I was like, yay! Jonathan Archer, gone but not forgotten. Oh. Yeah, though I was a little disappointed that they, they did play, I believe. I don't think that's the. I think that's the Enterprise theme 2.0 from the show. I'm really sad okay. they didn't play a version of Faith for, Faith of the Heart. It would have been great. It, it would have been really It would have came out of nowhere, but like just, you know, <laughs> one for the fans. So I've got faith. Exactly. Sorry, with like Yeah, and then we'd have the, the old school footage, right, of the Wright brothers and everything. Exactly. Like that. Exactly. So so then so you checked out Enterprise. Uh, yep. so when Star Trek goes away for a while and you hear that it's coming back to television, quote unquote television, we still don't know what to call this. Uh, by uh, Alex Kurtzman, what was your your thoughts about it? And I guess I'll, I'll ask so, in general, what are your thoughts about like what we call modern Trek with what everything going on nowadays? So in general, I've been really really excited by what we've gotten so far. Um, I think Discovery is a really fun, interesting show. Um, I know it's not quote unquote everybody's Star Trek because it's new and it's fast and it's action packed and it's far more quippy than a lot of other Star Treks. And it's a, it's got, you know, I know you guys said in the first couple of seasons, it, there's a little bit of Star Wars in this Star Trek. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably why I like it a lot more, but it's, they, I think they also did a really good job of adjusting the way to make a show like Star Trek for a modern audience, even if they shuffled it to a, service like Paramount Plus, where not as many people have access to it. Um, I, I, I think that they saw the writing on the wall as far as what people were watching these days and the tone that you need to have to be a successful television show, and they went with it, and especially with this amazing diverse cast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's fantastic. I love it. And I also sort of have a personal connection to the show oh. in... So I've been a lifelong Anthony Rapp fan ever since. Uh, so I saw him in Days to Confused, obviously. And mm-hmm. then I actually met Anthony Rapp in London when I went to see the Broadway production of Rent, or uh, the London production of Rent with the original Broadway cast. And I got his autograph after the show. Uh, please, please tell me you have a, do you have a, a Mark scarf, Fitzy? I do not have a Mark Scarf. I wish I did, but um, I, I am a redhead, and so I have a really special place in my heart for Anthony Rapp, and I will pretty much watch whatever he's doing. He's fantastic. Um, I follow him on Twitter. I like. I was going through a bunch of stuff at my mom's house last summer, and I found the signed playbill and tweeted at him. 
I was like waiting and waiting and waiting to see if he would like like it, and he never did. So I was like, <laughs> really, really heartbroken. But it's okay. It's cool. Yeah, Anthony, yeah, Anthony. Yeah, so he has a yeah. television show that he's working on. Exactly. He has plenty of other stuff going on. He doesn't need to hear from the plebes. But um, yeah, I especially love um, Sadiqa Martin Green as. Um, Sorry, as Michael Burnham, I think she's doing a really fantastic job of carrying the show. And I, you know, the um, range that she's had to go through throughout the first three seasons and one episode of the show has been really great to watch. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I really enjoy her performance as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you mentioned how uh, these shows were initially kind of schlepped out onto this satellite streaming service. I almost felt mm-hmm. like it was a, uh, you know, spinning out of orbit as as much as that deep space station that they end up rescuing in the episode. Mm-hmm. But Paramount Plus has become bigger uh, in yeah. the in the in the years since the season has aired. But on that note, you know, we should bring up a pretty big piece of news mm-hmm. uh, that non U.S. viewers of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, probably did not watch the episode by Oops. legal means. Yeah, they, they they can't. Like, what is Paramount Plus doing? They're, they, I mean, they 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 shuttled off the rights to Netflix, right? Yes, for yeah, international so, use, and yeah, then so, Netflix decided not to air it. So it's like, yeah. So basically, <laughs> like TLDR, this news mm-hmm. came out uh, Wednesday, November sixteenth. So literally the yeah. day before the premiere aired. Uh, originally for its first three seasons, of course, Star Trek Discovery airs on Paramount Plus slash CBS All Access in the U.S. And it airs in international Netflix outside of the U.S. because Paramount Plus slash CBS All Access has not expanded outside of the United States. A day before the premiere happened, uh, Star Trek announced that it would no longer be a part of international Netflix. Instead, it would be staying on Paramount Plus Paramount Plus is planning to expand beyond U.S. borders in 2022, which is when international viewers would legally get Star Trek Discovery. So, essentially, this is like, um, you it's know... It's sort when, of a kick in the score drive to your international audience to be like, yeah, just wait. Yeah, especially <laughs> when, you know, this as a show about, like, exploring new worlds, right? There's even a, mm-hmm. a piece of dialogue in this episode that Saru says of, like, you know, uh, when we close off our borders, we're closing ourselves off to others. It's like a leaf exactly. curling in from a tree. And yeah, uh, while Star Trek has always stood for for something, it's the issues of our present through the lens of tomorrow. Like, it's not a great sign for business yeah. that you're like, okay, only one country of people can watch this. Yeah. What I would say it's more akin to is like uh, when video games are released, right? Oftentimes Japan mm-hmm. gets like, the first viewing or the first pass it. And then like a month or two later, it releases in the United States, maybe a month or two later after Mm -hmm. that Europe, that's essentially happening here, but it's very, very rare. This happens with TV. Yeah. It's wild. It's like, um, you know, they want to actually be the embodiment of Kaminar and be an Island onto themselves as a planet. And maybe we'll let one or two things seep out to the international. But the thing is, they're also bringing in international shows as we saw, like, they're starting to bring in international reality TV shows over the last several months. So they are starting to try new things. It's just not enough and not fast enough to keep up with some of these other streaming services, unfortunately. Yeah, I would say, you know, I I understand the choice to expand Paramount Plus. I don't know if it's worth delaying the release of, you know, 
Well, it's it's probably probably one of the biggest uh, new shows streaming on the platform, right? Like the, one of the reasons why they also put it on there is because they thought, okay, this is going to be our bell cow. Like people right. love Star Trek. This is the big return to television for Star Trek. We're going to go here. Just feels an odd technique to delay it for what what I would assume. I mean, I guess you know, I I guess the question is when is Paramount Plus going to launch internationally? Was it going right. to be in the middle of the season? Because uh, this season, I'm assuming, has like probably 13 or so episodes like it did mm-hmm. the past couple. Uh, unless they plan on dropping Paramount Plus sometime between now and February. Right. Just kind of sit on it. Like, we just yeah, wait. Exactly. Let, let's show, show, this, show them this season. Yeah, it's like they, they want the they, they want to hold it so that they can use it as a, ta-da, now you have access to this when they release it. To be like, and Star Trek Discovery season four, as if it's a new thing. Yeah. But it, as if nobody in the international sector has Twitter and doesn't know that it's been out for months. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like they're trying to like have their cake and eat it too, unfortunately. And it's just, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, you sort of alluded to before that the Star Trek community is multifaceted and diverse mm-hmm. in its opinions. But I think when I saw this announcement, this was the rare issue i saw star trek fans from all fandoms converge on it's yeah. just like this sucks and if that really if, th- if that allies people from all sides of that proverbial universe mm-hmm. under this one issue you know you screwed up maybe they'll go back on it and i mean they could always double back on it but you know i mean it depends on if they've already you know reneged those rights and would have to go back to the drawing board with their uh, lawyers and that could take even more time. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, I mean, if anything, the the train is starting to leave the station. Right, one episode exactly. has already aired. Uh, doesn't yeah. appear like it's it's happening uh, internationally. But my heart does go out to the non U.S. viewers out there. Uh, listen, if you have to go full, you know, Emerald Syndicate and uh, just like do things on the DL somewhere else, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, I'm yeah. not gonna, you know, necessarily yeah. chastise that behavior. Yeah. If it's uh, it's a nice countermeasure yeah. to this odd offense that. Paramount Plus and Netflix is providing, but I do feel yeah. bad from that perspective because now a whole country gets to watch an entire yeah. season of a show that was originally available around the world, but is now secured within someone's borders for a few months a- ahead of time. We will be diplomatic in saying that we neither condemn nor endorse you watching Star Trek in the best way possible that suits you. Oh, what a political <laughs> answer. Oh, I hate politicians. <laughs> so let, let's get into this premiere a little bit. I'd love to get your overall yeah. thoughts because, I mean, what Star Trek Discovery does that is, I wouldn't say different because you have you know shows like DS9 doing this a bit before, but I feel like Discovery really leans in on the serialization of like the premiere is going to set up what the big mystery is. uh, And then we're going to spend basically the entirety of the season solving it. This season is no different. So what did you think about the way we opened up season four? So I, I, there are a few different things. I, I really like the overall thematic tone of it, where it definitely seems different than the first three seasons in that they really seem to have this idea that they want to lean hard into the science and the mysteries of science and the environment and what could possibly be going wrong with the universe that's causing all of this chaos to happen. Mm. And they sort of set that up with, you know, the speech that, um, 
Relic gives at the beginning where she talks about science being the future of how we're going to rebuild and get everybody back on board with Starfleet and expand the universe. And then, you know, she builds the crew up. And then the first thing they run into is this scientific anomaly that they can't Mm -hmm. explain that is going to lead us into the rest of the season. And I, I think that's really cool. I think it's a good new mystery that is a nice change of pace rather than just having some sort of alien species bad guy that they're going to battle throughout the season. And that may also come up because we did meet some interesting characters throughout this episode that will probably be coming up later for sure. Yeah. I I think that this mystery of the anomaly, Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued by it because it seems to be incredibly catastrophic and it it counters Mm -hmm. nicely to the burn, which was catastrophic in its own right last season, but we didn't see it, right? right? We just appear exactly. in the After Effects. We appear in the post-apocalypse, as it were. Here we get to almost see an apocalyptic event happen. Yeah. But I am I am, I'm holding myself back a little bit, because okay. I am just waiting for the big reveal that the gravitational anomalies are caused by some guy. Because that's <laughs> what we have. That's the, really the past know. two seasons, right? The big mystery yeah. is... Who is the Red Angel? Oh, it's time traveling Michael Burnham. Yeah. Oh, what caused the burn? Oh, it was this one guy to call right. the Kelpian. So, like, Discovery really likes to associate its big mysteries with one specific person. I don't know if they feel like they they don't need to go back to that. Well, I again, really I know that I was a little bit mixed on Sakal, but like, I would not be surprised if they lean back on that trope at the end of the day, and like, there is somebody in charge of making this I, all happen. I, I really hope it's not. And th- there's something that. Tilly said, and a couple of the other characters did, where they talked about where they wanted to be and what they would be doing now if they weren't here, and how are they even here, you know. Tilly Tilly said specifically it feels like a hundred years ago, but also yesterday. Mm. And that's because it was. And that got my brain spinning a little in that, what if this this, you know, could be completely galaxy brain. And if this turns out to be right, I apologize if you think this is a spoiler, but this is my theory, is that basically them coming this far into the future caused a temporal shift in the space-time mm. continuum, which is causing the universe to start to fold in on itself. Oh, I... In, like, a gravitational, really where it's, like... There's a there's a gravitational anomaly that was caused by them being in this era that they're not supposed to be in. I and so yeah. So th- there were a couple of things that where people were specifically talking about both how they felt out of place in this time and also like how they really wish they could go home. And you know, I mean, Saru is caught up in being torn between his home that he's found on Kaminar, but it not actually being his home because he doesn't know anyone there anymore. But he does want to care for it and rebuild his, you know, his species, but also Discovery is his home. Michael says a couple of times, Discovery is my home. Mm-hmm. You know, I will do anything for these people. And, you know, that's been her big overarching thing the last few seasons is that she's all about Discovery being her home what if this home is what's out of place in this universe? <gasps> it's a destructive house. Uh, yeah. Amityville horror style. The call is coming from inside the house, Mike. <laughs> yes, I I love this idea so much. 
because, you know, what I really like about it is it's a nice turn on season three mm. when Discovery was looked at as the saviors, right? Like, they exactly. were the only dilithium ship to warp into this world without dilithium. So, like, they were essentially this this big hot commodity that helped save mm. everything. Seems like, you know, we're, we're catching up here at the beginning of, of season four, five months after the end of season three. We're now making goodwill missions, trying to, like, knock on people's doors, like, here's a goodie basket mm-hmm. of dilithium, exactly. you know, come to my block party. <laughs> but I would love this idea, almost like this perverted twist in it of, like, well, also, you're making the universe worse yep. by actually being here. And I think that would actually tie really nicely into, you know, uh, the the, t- the title of this episode, yeah. Kobayashi Maru. Uh, so much fun for us Trekkies. Obviously, Very much. going back to TOS, it's the impossible test at Starfleet Academy yep. in which uh, I believe like your ship is being uh, fired upon and you have to try to escape uh, while, you know, maintaining as few casualties as possible. The needs as of my- the one versus the needs of the many. Yep. yep. And as Michael Burnham says, the onus of the test is uh, that there is no winning. Uh, and that yep. essentially like it's, it's meant to, to build your character. President Rillick says her interpretation is that it's meant to make you realize like, you know, you have to make sacrifices no matter what, and you have to yep. learn to live with that. And that's going to be a big concern for Michael Burnham. We'll certainly talk about that character beat later on. But I think okay. that could be a really fun connection back to that idea, right? Where Michael Burnham, clearly the issue she's apparently having, according to Rillick, is that she has a tough time. She can't let things go. She needs to learn mm. to let things go, much like a exactly. certain doctor that we know from another island that's not uh, a <laughs> Kaminar. And I think yep. that. Uh, you know, maybe her realizing how much wanton destruction she has accidentally caused with her decision to go hundreds of years into the future yeah. is will be a harsh lesson to teach her as to what, you know, how actions have consequences, but yeah. also how you can't live with the weight of every single soul some of your decisions may have made uh, weigh on you while you're in such a powerful position. Exactly, and I mean, we see a smaller version of that manifest when Michael decides that she is the only one capable of using the uh, shuttlecraft to try to go rescue the people on the, on the space station. And I mean, I know we're jumping ahead to the second half of the episode, but basically... It's okay, like, but this is Star Trek Discovery. We can, we can jump around all the time. Yeah, it's exactly. We can spin right. around and find ourselves right back where we started. So, not only that, but, like, not only does she decide it has to be her, but there was a character beat that I noticed that I don't think I've, I can recall really ever happening in a Star Trek before, where she leaves the bridge, but doesn't say to anyone, you have the comm, or you have yeah. the chair, or, like, she she doesn't give anyone that power either. So, I mean, and that's kind of, that kind of leads to a complaint we've had with some of the bridge crew on this show in the past where they're never given anything more to do than just sit there and push the yeah. buttons sometimes. Well, one, of them, one of them was and even swapped like, out in this episode. Yeah. Like, I, when I was like, Lieutenant Chris, is that, who is yeah. that? Like, oh, I guess he Bryce. got swapped out for the other guy. It's Bryce, right? Yeah, so, there anymore. so there's a literal throwaway line, which again, like yeah. Star Trek Discovery is still trying to find weird ways to fit in his tertiary characters, where Bryce is like, oh, well, I'm not serving on this other ship, so you're taking oh, over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that has to mean something. I guess R.I.P. Lieutenant Chris sometime soon, but it's such an odd move. Like, I cannot, yeah. if the actor is no longer on the show, I guess right. that makes sense, but like, 
he is, and for some reason right. they decided to remove his character from the bridge for a while? I guess. Sure. I, I, sure. Whatever. I guess he's going to train the new recruits or something on the I new ship. So. Maybe that's what it is. But it, it seemed odd to me that, like, because Tilly's not there, she's on the away team, she doesn't even have Tilly there to be like, Tilly, you have the chair. And she, yeah. like, there's nobody that she's really developing those bonds with, and I think that's something I, I would like to see happen throughout the season, but I'm also hesitant to say that it will, just because it's also what we really wanted last season and we're waiting for, and it didn't happen then either. Right. So, yeah. I mean, on that note, let, let's actually start with the Michael stuff. Uh, cause mm-hmm. I think we can kind of sort of go through our characters, because again, like a lot of these premieres, it was a big setup episode for not only the big mystery, but also for a lot of what are going to probably be some core you know, conflicts uh, with a lot of our main characters. Because let's start with Michael Burnham, because I do think that when we saw at the end of season three, Michael Burnham's made captain. It's like, this makes sense. This is super exciting. She even Mm -hmm. has a catchphrase. You know, it didn't feel completely right with Saru. It definitely did not feel right with Tilly. Even she knew that. (laughs) But I think what we're realizing through the Rillick character in particular is that I really do think season four is going to be about Michael Burnham realizing who she is as a captain. Uh, You know, know, when she was on the Shinjo with uh, Giorgio, she was the number one. So, like, there Mm -hmm. certainly probably were times that, to your point, she does take the helm. But I think that she probably thought it was going to be just a really smooth, easy transition. Like, because she's Michael Burnham, the main character, like, she constantly had to make decisions all the time on Discovery the past three seasons. But, like... I mean, I don't know how they want us to feel about President Rillick, but like honestly, when she was laying into Michael in the second to last scene, I I wasn't disagreeing. I wasn't disagreeing. Um, so like, um, like, like you said, like she, uh, the captain, walks off the bridge to be like, "Nope, I'm going to be the one driving that shuttlecraft." Like that's yeah, such yeah. a big Kirk maneuver, and, and she just, almost dies. And she yeah. almost dies. Like, I, if not for the magical space suit that. I know I forgot about. Did you forget about the spacesuit? Yeah, I mean, I, now I, and know. now that we're in a, a future yeah. programmable matter, I can just mm-hmm. assume that like anything can be made at all times. I guess, but I mean, she was also like, I mean, I kind of don't like it when shows do this, where like a character looks like they are totally knocked out mm-hmm. and not going to make it, and then all of a sudden, oh, they weren't unconscious, and they pushed the button to have this life saving thing happen. And it's, it's, it's a, it feels a little cheap, even though, not that I expected Michael Burnham to die in the first episode. Imagine. Or, or wanted her to. I didn't want her to. Right. But, like, your character needs to ha- have it be okay that somebody helps her or saves her. And it, I think, would have been a more interesting choice in that moment if maybe she hadn't had the spacesuit work, you know, or something. Like, if if they if they had found another way to do it where Michael has to learn the lesson in real time instead of getting a lecture after from Relic, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't what did you? Yeah, what did you think about the Relic character in general? Because I would imagine so, uh, she's not gone anytime soon. This is going to be a perennial so thorn in the side of Michael Burnham, much like sort of Vance was in her side in season three. So what do you think about the new character and what do you think her role is going to be moving forward in season four proper? Yeah. So I'm really intrigued by this character when she first came on um, and gave the speech at the commencement ceremony and everything. I was like, okay, this is nice. She's, she's a very different character. Um, There seemed to be something a little fishy and shady about her. 
mm-hmm. like in kind of a fun way and where I almost thought maybe she was being set up to be our main antagonist in a way, like much more so than that, than Vance was an antagonist to Michael last season where like maybe she would actually be like, I, I don't know. I, I still don't know quite what to make of her. Um, and I thought maybe she was, um, going to be set up to be some sort of antagonist but then with the with the conversation with Michael at the end of the episode um, I, I think it's you're right that it's going to be much more of an advisory role where she's just trying to teach Michael you know how to do things the right way um, yeah it's, it's interesting and, because you know going back to TNG there was sort of like a similar storyline I feel like in season one right mm-hmm. when like the the Admiralty came aboard the Enterprise and was like knocking down Picard for, for breaking right. all these rules and it felt a little bit like that but at the same time it's such interesting and I feel like they purposely did this to warp our perceptions mm-hmm. that coming in right Michael's like oh god I can't stand that president you know she's yeah. a suck up she's a kiss ass. But I'll admit, the press really like impressed me over the. She did a great job in the um, negotiation section where she just pulls, she just pulls it out of her butt to save the day. Like somebody and that guy did one of our least favorite things, which is he pointed a phaser at Tilly. Stop doing that. We don't like it when people do that. Um, Yeah, and she she really saved the day faster than Michael did in a way that was the complete opposite of what Michael was trying to do. And I think that's the lesson that Michael should be learning from this, you know, is that not everything has to be solved by brute force, you know? Yeah. That's, that's the thing is that I think that what that conversation took away was like, basically mm-hmm. we're like telling Michael Burnham, you have a lot to learn. And Michael Burnham's like, well, look at my resume. And she basically says like, yeah, you've done really well with with what you do, but what you do won't get you out of a sticky situation every exactly. single time. Uh, exactly. And so I, wa- and I wonder, I wonder if you know, despite her decrying politics, I wonder if we'll see a little bit more of like a duplicitous Michael Burnham moving forward. Right? I know that she has some mm-hmm. derision towards the idea of politics of like, were you lying when you said that thing? But. Right. Maybe it's also because, you know, uh, that's the Vulcan in her, I would imagine, right? right? Of, like, it's not logical to lie in that incident. Right. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting to juxtapose that scene with the one we get at the beginning, where she and Book are on the planet, and she's trying diplomacy, but she seemingly didn't do her research before going to meet with these people, or at least not enough to the degree where she was able to communicate effectively and it all goes downhill and the beautiful butterfly people decide they need to kill them because they are holding the queen hostage. Yeah, so let's talk about that beginning. So this is uh, the Al Shane, which just yeah. look beautiful. Oh, they're amazing. They look like the something out of like, fantasy. Like, yeah, they're it like- was so cool. It was like Dagobah mixed with like legend. Do you remember mm-hmm. the movie Legend with Tom Cruise where he's like a where he's like an elf prancing around the forest? Yes, 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 yes. It, I remember it gave that. Me that feeling. Yeah, but like set on Dagobah in like yeah, the, very, very much like because there's a lot of like fog yeah. and swampiness around. But mm-hmm. honestly, what this beginning opening scene reminded me of was a cross between like the Abrams Star Trek movies. Like I seem to recall, like yeah. Star Trek Into Darkness. I think opened on a failed away team mission. Uh, and also, honestly, like a cold open from a show like Lower Decks, which certainly yeah. has its, its you know, criticisms from people. But like Lower Decks often has 
hey, a crew goes down and does something and something goes wrong. Like, we very much got that vibe, which was more done for, like, comedic, action-packed effect to produce this big budget Mm -hmm. chase scene to start off our season. But to your point, when you look back at it, it contrasts really nicely with, okay, Michael Burnham, as awesome of a character as she is, does have a clear weakness at this moment. Yeah, exactly. And it seems to be twofold in that, you know, her diplomacy isn't working out so well. And when she tries to do the action hero thing, that also fails. So it's like she's she's going to have a real conflict of conscience this season of what well, what is she good at? What is her thing? And to your point of her figuring out what kind of captain she wants to be, I think that these are two examples of maybe the type, the lessons she can learn along the way of figuring that out. Let's talk a bit about a couple of our other characters here. Let's let's go to Saru, um, mm-hmm. because there was a big question mark left at the end of season three. Saru had decided to to sort of like take a sabbatical from Starfleet to drop Sukal off on Kaminar and mm-hmm. just sort of like, you know, phase him into that life. Five months later, he is now what? They, the Grand Elder, I think they the call Grand him? Elder. Uh, and I mean, I guess it makes sense because he's a thousand years old, technically, on technically that planet. Speaking, so yeah, yeah give definitely or take a, a few hundred years, <laughs> technically speaking. But yeah, and so, and he knows about like the before times of Kaminar. Yeah. Very different Kaminar. They're meeting in like their own, uh, you know, Gungan esque hideout. Uh, yeah. But really interesting. Uh, Kelpians and Baul seem to be working together. Seems like, yeah, like hey, hey, we tried to eat you thing from all those years ago is dead and <laughs> right. gone now. I, I actually really, really like that. I like that we sort of yada yada how that happened and it's just there and we don't have to worry about it. Um, it was really cool to see. Um, and it also, like, I think sets up nicely where that could either be something that helps the Federation that these two are now aligned or lead to conflict because the Federation's presence turns, you know, the, the bow or the Kaminoans against the other in some way because of their own, their presence now. But um, I really like that they're united at this point, And I really like that Saru seemingly in five months has managed to just like make everything okay on his planet and solve, solve the entire planet. And now he's like, but here's the thing. We're cool here, but we can't just be cool here. Let's be cool everywhere. And let's expand and see where, you know, there is a vast wide world out there and we can't be isolationist because being isolationist is what brought us to war in the old days. Right. So we can't do that anymore. You know, and I, I really like that Saru makes the decision he does at the end, or at least seems to be leaning that way to head back to his home on the discovery. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You know, yeah. 13 episodes in the season, uh, Star Trek discovery moves things quickly. Mm-hmm. Over under two more episodes until Saru is back on board Discovery. Oh, I wrote down that I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up at the end of that episode. Wow, really? Yeah. That quick? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, though, because I, I do think his conversation with Sukal is interesting, though, because it seems mm-hmm. like, to your point, while he is bringing up, like, no, we have to keep our channels open, it seems like his conversation with Sukal, you know, Sukal's like, you can go now, man. I'm yeah, good. exactly. He's like, he's like, no, I think I'm going to stay. Uh, I think I'm all right. I think you still you still got some more, uh, you know, attendances a, a to function 
functions to attend. Uh, sure, I, I think sure. I think you still need a little bit more help. Let me hang out here. I think there's going to be something that happens in the next episode that makes the decision for him. Like something is going to happen on Kaminar that has to do with this event. Mm-hmm. And it's oh, going to well, force hopefully his hand. It go hopefully the way not the same <laughs> catastrophic way, but something, something that he's going to get a piece of information, or there's going to be a crashed ship, or something is going to happen with Kaminar where he's going to find out about what's happening and the danger that Discovery was in, and he's going to feel the need to go back. Mm. So I could see that, or maybe it's something where like. Uh, maybe Starfleet almost like calls him out of retirement in a way of like, mm-hmm. oh, we need your special skills for this. I don't know. Maybe his mm-hmm. uh, his uh, his you know uh, Kaminar eyesight will be able to <laughs> to come in handy here, the Kelpian way to mm-hmm. like look into things. Because yeah, I I don't think it's going to be that long. I think people want to see Saru back. Absolutely. I guess the, the question would be if and when he comes back into the fold. What is that capacity? Is it right. him hang? Is he is? Well, I think I'm, I believe. I'm trying to remember actually if he was promoted to admiral. I'm I don't necessarily know. I, I, I think he was, was at the end and then he retired. Yeah, so, so like he could theoretically just could. be back at you know back at headquarters with with uh, Admiral Fridge here, just sort of like being right. the the guy behind the comms. Or would you think he'd actually want to be on Disco proper? Uh, I think he would want to be on Disco proper. And and for any new listeners, uh, Admiral Fridge is uh, Admiral Vance. Yes, uh, uh, we, we just call him the uh, distant, distant relative of Bob Vance of Vance Refrigeration. That's where exactly, the slow lineage exactly. has come to. There you go. So yeah, um, I could see him taking a meeting with uh, Fridge Vance and um, try and coming to a decision. Then um, you know, but we'll we'll see. Um, I I think it's no later than than the third episode for sure. Going back to the Admiralty for a second, something mm-hmm. going back to our new character, President Relic. I'm still trying to figure out, this is odd to say on any podcast, uh, mm. what species she is. Uh, I don't it, know. I it, thought it, for a second maybe she was the same species as the um, as the dude who was on uh, the, the Deep Space Six. Mm. Because they seem to have a lot of the same lines in their face, but yeah. that could have just been a face blur thing that you know, generic alien lines <laughs> on the face thing, but I don't yeah, know. I'm um, not sure. But I th- honestly, what it kind of looked like to me, because uh, I saw like the little indentation in the head. Could she mm-hmm. be have a little bit of Cardassian in her? Oh, okay, possible, possible. Yeah, and I think someone actually threw out there that between like the head ridges and the spoon head. Yeah, maybe. Listen, much like uh, the Baowul and Kelpians could get together, yeah. could we have perhaps seen some sort of unification between Cardassians and Bajorians? And Bajorians oh, to produce in many, many years in the future to produce someone like President Relic. Yeah, she seems definitely vague about where she came from and how she got to where she is and doesn't seem to want to give up a lot of detail. So I'll, I, that could be one of the things we figure out throughout the course of the season is exactly what her deal is. So. Yeah, it's weird because, uh, and I think she, I'm looking at a picture now, she does have the nose ridges like Bajorans yeah. do, but the weird thing with Star Trek Discovery is mm. they like to do new interpretations of On characters, old, yeah. lest we yeah. remember the Klingons. Yep, for sure. And I mean, she's, she's definitely... Um, Mysterious. I mean, she. You know, they they want us to question this about her. I think. 
Like they, if they, if they wanted us to know, they would have said it. So I, I definitely think it's going to be a big deal eventually. All right. Well, we talked about the unfortunate destruction of Quajon. <sighs> Let's talk about book side of things because book is sort of in this weird position, right? We're like, He's technically mm-hmm. working with them, but I guess more right. as a merc than like an actual member of the Starfleet yeah. crew. Special advisor, security advisor, whatever you want to yeah, call it. Yeah, something like um, that. And he makes a trip home, and it's his last trip home. <laughs> oh, poor, poor book. Um, it's so sad because you, like, that scene is so beautiful where they have the ceremony in front of Tree with the little, yeah, the, the, with the, with the, the, little the tree bar mitzvah, and, essentially. Yeah, the tree mitzvah. And, it's like he even reads his little, his little, uh, what, what do you call it from the Torah? The, his, yeah, the Haftarah, like his the Haftarah. passage, yeah. Yeah, it's so beautiful and it's so cute. And then you're, I mean, usually we're kind of on the lookout for these kind of things in shows, but I didn't see this coming at all. Like, I, no. there was no suspense to this. There was no, it didn't feel foreshadowing at all. It just felt like a really nice character note. And then the birds start flying everywhere. And you're like, wait, what is happening? Uh, oh no! And yeah. your your brain isn't connecting it to what's happening throughout that rest of the episode until book breaks atmosphere, and you're like, I mean, I know my head immediately went, and I wrote down a note, my notes of like, is this connected? Like before the end, I was like, is this connected? And then, boom, it was connected, and it was so sad. Like it was basically like. Luke and Obi-Wan and Han coming out of hyperspace to see Alderaan destroyed like in in, in the middle of New Hope. Like it was so like a, a million voices cried out and were suddenly silenced and it was so sad. I was like, I was beside myself. Yeah, I, but that being said, it was incredibly well done. I really yeah. like this perspective where like you said, we sort of see the effects of this anomaly with the mm-hmm. space station but to be candid, we don't care about the crew on that station, especially right. this sort of like uh, neurotic commander aboard. But mm-hmm. we sort of get to see things now from the ground level with the character we do. It was, uh, yeah. you know, care about. It was almost disaster movie proportions, right? Where yeah. it's like you try to sympathize with people, and then they have to go through the elements to see things go awry. And then Book tries to scope out the plan to check it out. And then all of a sudden we see the actual anomaly happen. It was... Yeah. Yeah, it was gut-wrenching it was to see. Yeah. And especially at the end of it all, right? When he comes back yeah. and it's all, it's gone. It's, it's gone. all gone. That's, that's exactly and, what he says. And it's really sad because I like was really enjoying the dynamic between him and his brother. Mm-hmm. And like, I really want more of that because, I mean, we didn't get a lot of that last season. We got, yeah, we, we got stuff, that one episode, but, right? When it's like, this yeah. is why you're estranged. And exactly. now we'll, we'll try to heal at the end. You know, and then they, like, got their nice little reunion at the end, and, you know, he got to meet his nephew, and it was adorable. And the nephew is, like, this cute little kid who has this really quiet voice, and he's like, oh, Uncle Buck, what's going on with you? You know, and he's adorable, and then they're all just gone, and it's sad. It's like, oh, and not to mention all of the creatures that we met in that episode. Yeah, like all, the, were, all like the flying whales and everything. Yeah, who were like the life force of that planet. I mean, that, that you know, is, a I think, a really big deal for the energy of the universe in that, um, you know, with that, not, you know, not to connect it to Star Wars, but it's almost like a, you know, there's, you know, like, 
a great disturbance in the Force that's going to have ripples throughout the galaxy, for sure. Yeah, so it's a terrible position from mm. Book's part. I mean, I know that he had been estranged from his home for a while, but like everything he knew is gone, including, assumingly, his brother and his nephew. Yeah. It's not too dissimilar, in my opinion, Fitz, from uh, where we had Star Trek Generations, right, where mm-hmm. Jean-Luc Picard loses his brother uh, and nephew as well in uh, that winery fire, I think is what happened. Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually a really odd parallel the more that I line <laughs> it up. They, they really like to do that where they're either intentionally or unintentionally calling back to things that happened in other properties, but putting their own mark on it um, for their, to build their own character's emotional beats off of. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the times it really works. Like, I think this really works. I think, you know, a lot of the stuff they've done with Burnham that has been similar to things they did in Deep Space Nine or in Next Generation have really worked. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't like, I don't mind it, um, especially when it's done well. You know, I mean, there's a difference between fan service and homage. Mm. And uh, I think this is a nice homage to, you know, if you're looking for it, it's there. You know, it's a, it's important in these shows, I think, to draw parallels to keep to keep the fans engaged for sure. Not only that, but I think that book is a distinctly different character from Picard. Mm-hmm. That like they'll have two very different reactions oh, to yeah. it. Sure. That being said, my big prediction for book for the season is: I think this dude for the next while is going to have a big bout of the yips. Um, I think that considering what his power was like, empathy, right, communication yeah. with all sorts of wildlife. I think between the destruction of his planet, right, this idea of the roots that connect to everything, circle of yep. life, etc., and just the trauma that he's underwent, I think there's going to be a long sure. time where we're going to get, like, sulking book, not being able to I use so his too. powers the way that they want him to. He'll do, he'll unlock it eventually, but I think for the next yeah. little while, he's going to be a little out of commission. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to see him laying on a couch with grudge on his lap, but not wanting to get up for a little while. For sure. Exactly. Uh, maybe yeah. give Grudge some more hologram goldfish to eat oh. just to pass the time. But um, yeah, I think it, I think he's a really fascinating character. I, I absolutely love the way that they use and shot his uh, scout ships and the mm-hmm. way that like as the ship flies, it breaks apart and comes back together. And the, the aerodynamics of that ship are really, really fascinating to me um, and really cool and not really something we see in a lot of other you know, it's Star Trek. Um, it's like a newer thing, and I really like that. Um, you know, and I so I do hope that we don't. If he's down for a little while with a case of the yips and a case of the depression, that we don't then lose the coolness of his gadgets. So. Yeah, exactly. Like keep. Let's use the ship. Maybe the guy yeah. can stay home. But we'll still use the <laughs> ship. So uh, around the block here on a couple of other characters. Mm-hmm. So what's up with Tilly? We know that something is up with Tilly, but we kept getting interrupted uh, mm-hmm. from the actual, you know, uh, reveal of it. But if you could wager a guess as to what Tilly's big personal conflict is at the beginning of this season, what would you wager? Uh, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. She doesn't feel like she's properly earned the credit that she's being given. And it's a, it's a self, it's always been a confidence thing with Tilly. It's always been a self doubt thing with her. And I think this is a, once she finally starts down the path she's been striving towards, she starts to question herself. 
And mm. I think that's, so I think it's a little bit of imposter syndrome with her. And, um, you know, I think, but I think she'll, I think she'll be able to get over it pretty quickly, or at least I hope so for that character, because we love her a lot more when she's the bubbly, quippy, zip, zippy Tilly than the, um, than, than the, you know, angsty one. So yeah, hopefully it won't last too long. Yeah, no angsty Tilly for us. Mm. I agree they'll sort of add a little like twist onto it in that okay. I think I think it's a little bit of also like I don't know, feeling of failure as well in addition mm. to the imposter syndrome because when she was put in charge of Discovery, right, that's when Osiris swooped in and took right. over the ship diehard style. So like I could imagine she has a little bit of a hesitancy to take any sort of promotion let alone right. more duty and trust because she's like no i nearly killed us all i nearly like destroyed right. the universe because if they got their hands on discovery it would have been game over so i can imagine while everyone else has seemed to like move on from the events of season three she's still caught she up on it yeah which is sure. understandable given that like she was the one sitting in the chair when the ship right. got hijacked for sure for sure but i mean she also did a lot to help get them out of everything that happened. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a give and take with her, but I, yeah, I can definitely see that guilt sticking with her. So it's interesting that you say, you know, we're not really experiencing Mm -hmm. kind of like awkward, quippy Tilly because it feels like for now that has been shunted off onto another character who has Mm -hmm. now sort of filled her place as Ensign. Uh, What are you thinking about Adira? Adira was introduced as like this sort of other character mystery in season three. Now seems to be a full member of the crew. From what we've yeah. seen so far, what, what do you think about Adira's place in all this? I've really enjoyed the increased presence of Adira this episode. I think that they um, add a lot to the series, uh, um, both in performance and as a character, um, mm. that it's really cool to have like the multiple personality thing going on where we get to see um, Gray and, and Adira interact. And it's, it's also really nice to have somebody besides Jet Reno for Stamets to bounce off of. Mm. And it's adding a really cool dimension to the Stamets character where he feels a, you know, parental thing with Adira, and I think that that's so. and that's going to be a really interesting relationship to track throughout the rest of the season. I think, um, and I thought I thought that Adira did a really great job keeping their cool on the away mission and just trying to get the job done, and then standing down when realizing that the guy they were with was not a reasonable person. <laughs> so, yeah. It was, it's interesting, yeah. though, because I think, you know, you might assume, like I mentioned before, like, okay, this is just the new Tilly, scared, mm-hmm. awkward, nervous. But there's this bonus of this is a person who technically has the memories. Exactly. Of it's other people. So it's not like you're starting over from square one, right? You're in this exactly. subservient position as Adira, but Adira has all these other random memories and bits of info that actually probably from like uh, uh, sort of like outsells them, right? Like it honestly, makes them, it makes them the use, yeah, it makes them the most useful person on the ship. Oh yeah, they honestly could be and like, like tenant yeah. if uh, you know mm-hmm. if they were if they were going by resume, but because sure. you have to start from somewhere, it's it's from Ensign here on up. Yeah, and I think that that is going possibly would be a really interesting thing to explore throughout the season of starting to unlock 
what Adira does. And I think there will be a couple of times where they are uh, underestimated as to what their capabilities are. And then when they get to show those off, it's going to be really cool. So uh, we see Gray show up, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned. Uh, How many episodes do you give it before the incorporation, a.k.a. Gray getting a body, happens? Do you think that's happening this season? Um, If it does, I would imagine it's probably towards the end of the season, and it will probably be out of necessity. Um, Mm -hmm. There may may be a necessity nature involved where there's some sort of, you know, thing that happens aboard the ship and they have to do it, you know, or, or one of them will die. You know, even yeah. though we've done that before, um, maybe, maybe it could happen again. Maybe it's something where like Adira gets knocked out or is put in critical mm-hmm. condition, but like they they still need to access their memory. So like, okay, right. let's do it now. Put Gray in this body, so then Gray can tell us what we need right. to do. Um, do you have somebody that you would like Gray to incorporate with on this crew? It's no? a good question because I was trying to imagine the process of incorporation. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if it was like a mind meld thing or a trill thing, or if it was more right. like. Hey, here's a mannequin body. We put Gray's body onto it. Like, <laughs> no. Sort of how they ended Star Trek Picard season one of like how they built the android body off of this kind of skeletal frame. Right. Right. Wait, what if they put Gray inside of Grudge and then Grudge became sentient? Oh, I would and love can, a, talk, a talking cat in talking season cat. five of, of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Sabrina the Teenage Cat. Yeah, I, you know what? I think that'd be funny. I think it'd be <laughs> funny be for a little while. Adira would have yeah, for like, weird qualms <laughs> about it. It'd be funny for like half an episode, and then we'd be like, "Wait, why did they do this?" Yeah, like, oh no, now we're stuck with the talking cat crew member. Oh no. <laughs> uh, uh, were there any other characters that you wanted to make a note of? I feel like those were the the major characters that sort of got stuff to do in this episode. Yeah, I think that was the main stuff. I, I, I it was interesting to me that we got to see Vance's family, and then it was even called out from Michael that Vance's family was there. Like, I mean, they're doing a lot of little things of, like, of, like, hanging a curtain on certain things mm-hmm. so that maybe we remember them later. Like, they they seem to make a big deal of or hang a curtain on um, Vance's family finally being reunited with him. And that, that was, like, you know, that was something I wrote down. I was like, that's interesting. Will that come back later? You know, yeah. there's lots of, like, little things. Um yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I think that the biggest thing for me also is that I need someone from the bridge crew to step up in a bigger way again mm-hmm. and sort of become that number two outside of Tilly to um to Michael. And if that doesn't happen, I'm going to be kind of bummed. But I mean, I get it. I get it if it doesn't because that's not the story they're trying to tell. But um, it's what I want most of all is that I want I want more from our bridge crew again. No, you know what's going to happen is they're going to promote Adira over all of them. These poor people that like, like like Harry Kim's have been sitting there for years. Oh man! And now it's like, all right, well, actually, now uh, Adira's the new number two. Uh, you all are still in the place that you are. Yeah, well, sorry, sorry, Collard. Sorry, you can't. Yeah, no, you you just have to stay there. Sorry. Um, I'll make a bold prediction here. Yes. On that note of Admiral Vance, I think unfortunately uh, the fridge is going to get unplugged this season. I think oh, no. I think he's a goner, and I think there's a chance that Saru replaces him then as like the go-to admiral. Because uh, yeah, like you said, it is a little bit of like the two days before retirement thing, right? Like the entire right. day of last season, he talked about how 
you know, uh, this place was so secretive and hidden away that like, I didn't even, I had to leave my family behind, uh, to, to sort of take this career. Now it's all opened up. We think it's all hunky dory. It's not going to end hunky dory in my opinion. I think, I think unfortunately, uh, I think Admiral Fridge is going to be one of the people to bite the dust because it does feel like with Saru being an admiral now, he's kind of feels redundant. Yeah, and also I think that you don't need the president and the admiral. Right. That's the other and, thing as well is that I know we were a little confused. I think yeah. uh, in season three, right? Because if I remember correctly, when Osira visits, uh, she talks to the admiral and is like, "Where's the president of the Federation?" And it's right. like, and he says, "Like, oh, she's not. They're not here." And I'm like, "Wait, but is there one? Or is, is he just bl- yeah. is, is he being political and bluffing?" Yeah, I mean, there was a part of me that thought maybe the whole reason they were introducing this president was to have them, you know, die on this away mission that they shoehorn themselves on in this That'd mission. Be interesting. You know, so I, I thought, I thought for sure, like that, that there was a good chance that the president would die in this episode. And when they didn't, I was like, okay, that's a choice because it seemed like they were going for something when you know she forced herself onto the onto the mission. And they didn't go the way I expected them to, but I, I kind of liked where they did go with it. Yeah. Do you have any bold predictions about where Star Trek Discovery is going to go? Uh, where No Man Has Gone Before in season I mean, one, I, four? I, I laid out my I laid out my main theory at the beginning of, uh, mm-hmm. of the, the beginning of the episode about uh, time starting to fold in on itself or the universe folding in on itself. That's the main thing I have. I think that also before the end of this season. They, they, they sh- maybe should and could announce that there's going to be an end date to the show because Ooh. with the serialization thing they're doing, it seems like this show is on a certain track that previous shows haven't felt like they've been on before mm-hmm. where they maybe are going towards an end point because how many times can you jump universes or jump yeah. timelines or reset everything and start over again. Um, there's only so many times you could do that before the audience just starts revolting. And so I think if they want to continue this serialization, they, they need to set an endpoint and say, you know, this is, we have a plan. This is what we're work speeding towards. You know, and we'll get there, and it'll be great, and that's it. And I think, I think that's the, the. I think that was one of our complaints a little bit with seasons two and three is at points it felt a little aimless. Mm-hmm. And I think that if they if they give themselves a target, and I think that they should, that it will help clarify a lot of the narrative of the show. That's a really interesting prospect because the Star Trek universe on paramount plus since Mm -hmm. uh you know since things began in 2017 has ballooned would be describing it mildly right we have we have uh animated shows like star trek lower decks and the new star trek prodigy which i feel like probably have the best chance of having multiple seasons just because you don't have to worry about actors aging cheaper to make in general that seem to be the ones that can be sticking around for a long time and you have other live action series like Strange New Worlds. I think yep. just finished filming. I would assume is coming out sometime in 2022. There's probably going to be other things on the horizon as well. One day that Section 31 spinoff yeah, is going someday. to come. We're going to so have like, another season of Star Trek Card coming soon enough. Yeah, Star Trek Card is coming next year too, so, uh, in February. So like, 
Yeah, there, there's not really a need to feel like they have to keep it on. Uh, right, exactly. So I could see it in a way if they do want to go the route of some other, you know, they want to go like Vince Gilligan, for example, and be like, no, 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 we're ending mm-hmm. it at this point. It's, it's you know, six seasons, five seasons, whatever you want it to be. I would not be surprised. But if they decide this is the cow to milk, yeah. maybe it goes on for, you know, seven seems to be the magic number for a lot of these series. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, let, me, let me ask you one more thing. Um, did mm-hmm. you... Did you miss the presence of Giorgio? No. Uh, no. I mean, it doesn't... It, it helps that she was gone from the second half of season three yeah. as well, uh, which, again, is is very strange, considering that, like, Michelle Yeoh and I think Alice Kirsten have said, like, they're not filming that anytime soon, so why can't the bar, character now? Yeah. yeah. But, so, and well, it, I think the character was fun to have, you know, if they really have had no reason for her, I'm fine yeah. with, with sort of pushing her off the show. I and mean, at least now the show, I think, feels very confident in who they are. And they don't yeah. necessarily feel burdened with the ties from that past era, which I think included Giorgio in it. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And they, they, they definitely don't feel burdened um, by it anymore as well. Uh. <laughs> All right. Um, well, on that lovely pun... Brendan, this was great to get your thoughts about Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery. Mike Bloom, uh, I love talking to you. This was fantastic. Same, dude. Same. Like, anytime you want to talk something stars, uh, <laughs> I am here. Star Search will be the next one we cover. Uh, so if people want to catch up on what you're doing, because people might know, not know this, but you yourself are a podcaster, how can people, uh, you know, check out your exploits and follow you on social media? Yeah, so my buddy Zach Brooks and I host a weekly movie podcast called The Movie Ladder, where we watch a different movie every week that somehow connects to something we watched the week before. We actually just recorded on Tuesday our Back to the Future podcast. Oh, speaking uh, of time travel, is that where yeah, you came up with your big time theory? travel? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Um, but you can check that out at Movie Ladder Podcast on uh, Twitter or at The Movie Ladder. Um, we had a really good time with that episode. It's Zach's favorite movie of all time. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So it was just really fun to nerd out about that. Um, next week, we are doing Rebel Without a Cause, the 1955 film starring James Dean. Uh, if you want to know how that connects to Back to the Future, um, you'll have to listen to the podcast to find out. Yeah, so uh, talk to me about that, because the whole concept of Movie Ladder, yeah. right, is that the next movie you watch has some sort of connection to yeah. the other movie that you're exactly. talking about. And it can be any kind of connection. It can be either an actor or a director or just a thematic connection, like uh, a new kid arrives in town and meets the high school bully, like happens in Back to the Future and Rebel Without Cause. So there you Interesting. Go. Yeah, everything is connected then, like the roots. They are seeding their way exactly. through all of film. Exactly. So be sure to check that out. Of course, here on Post Show Recaps, so much stuff going on. Uh, last, lost Down the Hatch, uh, speaking of like a specific end date, is rounding the corner on finishing up season six. Of course, The Walking Dead, uh, despite it being a franchise about death, is alive and kicking, going very strong. We also have coverage of Insecure, Dexter, Succession, uh, The Wheel of Time at the time of recording this is about to debut, so there's going to be some stuff there and plenty more to come as we round the corner into December, which will probably be the next time you hear from us talking Star Trek. Again, Jess and I will be back on a recurring basis, probably a few weeks from now to wrap up the season that has passed so far, but 
from where it started, especially on that just grueling image of Quijon being blown up, I'm very excited to see where it goes. Obviously, if you have Star Trek feedback, uh, you can write it in. Uh, you can just write me, Mike, at postshowrecaps.com with any thoughts you may have, and we'll bring it up on the podcast as they pop up. Uh, you can follow me at a Mike Bloom type as well as check out all the other reality and scripted stuff that I am doing. You can so follow on- me at Fitzy Brendan on Twitter as well. You can definitely tweet at me about Star Trek as well. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll be watching along. Listen, we both live in the U.S., so we'll be able to watch live. <laughs> uh, so thank you all so much for listening. I cannot wait for an, another season of Star Trek Discovery, no matter how many times we get to talk about it. So Jess and I will be back hopefully in a few weeks to talk about the next batch of episodes. Thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, 